0: Hello and welcome to the Business Standard Morning Show. I'm Swapnil Joglika. It is the 28th of February 2024 and here are the questions we'll be answering today. Will FM fintech need pave the road to sustainable innovation? Why is your house rent breaking the bank? Should you bet on space-related stocks as government eases FDI norms? And what is the Munich AI Accord? Innovative solutions by fintech companies are essential to the financial services sector," Nirmala Sitharaman said on Monday. But in the same breath, the finance minister also said that fintechs must ensure strict compliance with regulations. The FM statement came during a meeting with fintech leaders which was called against the backdrop of the RBI's strict action against fintech giant PTM. So, will the FM's reassurance soothe the nerves of fintechs and ensure a sustainable path ahead? Kastri Akhil and Abhijit Kumar find out.
1: Finance Minister Nirmala Sitharaman chaired a meeting with fintech leaders earlier this week amid RBI actions on Paytm Payments Bank and Visa Inc. Although specific cases were not discussed at the event. RBI's action against Paytm Payments Bank in January stirred concerns within the fintech community about a tightening regulatory environment. Founders and investors expressed apprehensions about the potential impact in their interviews, reflecting genuine industry worries. The Indian fintech industry is projected to reach a valuation of $200 billion by 2030. Its total addressable market is estimated to reach $1.3 trillion by 2025. Fintech's assets under management are expected to reach around $1 trillion by 2030, as per government sources. Major segments under the category would include payments, digital lending, insurtech, and wealth tech. There are currently 10,244 fintech companies in India, growing at an average CAGR of 14%. India also ranks as the world's third-largest fintech sector. And with 21 unicorns in the current fintech setup, the recent regulation tightening was bound to unsettle some nerves. Rohan Lakhayar of Grand Taunton Bharat explains if the meeting with FM will ease the disharmony between fintechs and regulator.
2: So the meeting with FM and the uh, the roadmap that was provided will certainly help fintechs come up the curve. Uh, We need to understand that fintechs are very, very young still. And uh, operating in a digital ecosystem, uh, they are doing something which is unprecedented. So the steps that were uh, called out will certainly uh, allow fintechs to uh, get clarity. Uh, They will be able to navigate the regulatory uh, ecosystem way better because we need to understand natural services is one of the most regulated Sector in the country.
1: And this is not the first time the regulator has come down hard on banking facilitators. The RBI's recent actions against various financial institutions highlight a growing emphasis on regulatory compliance. From HDFC Bank to Bajaj Finance, several entities have faced restrictions due to non compliance with regulations. In 2020, the RBI had asked HDFC Bank to temporarily stop all digital launches and sourcing of new credit card customers after the bank suffered its third big outage in the span of just two years. In October 2023, it banned Bank of Baroda from onboarding new customers onto its Bob World mobile application after reports of the bank linking accounts to unregistered mobile numbers and signing up these numbers to the application. The next month, the RBI directed Bajaj Finance Limited to stop the sanction and dispersal of loans under two of its lending products due to non-adherence to the digital lending guidelines. Therefore, the finance minister's meeting with the fintech leaders was to contain any speculation and apprehension of the market players. Sidharaman proposed monthly meetings with regulators to ensure that regulatory compliance and innovation goes hand in hand. It was decided that the Department of Financial Services will host workshops with law enforcement agencies where fintech's partners could voice their concerns. The meeting also decided that the RBI, DPIIT and the Finance Ministry would examine ownership changes and control of listed fintech companies to ensure regulatory compliance. Business standards' Tamal Bandupadya elaborates if the measures discussed by the FM will be enough to ensure both compliance and innovation.
3: There's a perception now post this particular uh, incident which is... uh... Uh, PTM, Payments Bank, are the action them. Uh, they have been rightly or wrongly, I would say, I put it wrongly, uh, the message has come across that here, where is a regulator which is anti-innovation, which, which you know, and uh, you know the startups want to take certain liberties, certain freedom uh, under the guise of innovation. By being innovative does not mean that you don't care for regulation, right? You can be well-regulated and innovative. And that's that's the name of the game. So I think the message has gone very clearly that here is a government which is not anti-innovation. Here is the Reserve Bank of India, the Central Bank, which is not innovation, not anti-innovation. You can be innovative, but let's not take that license to uh, have scant respect for regulations. And to do that, you need continuous uh, you know, interaction with the Department of uh, Supervision of Finance Ministry, DFS, Uh, financial supervision or Reserve Bank of India or other uh, investigative agencies.
1: It is important to note that RBI's action against Paytm Payments Bank last month was triggered by major irregularities in the company's Know Your Customer or KYC norms. The regulator had said that lax KYC norms exposed its customers to serious risks. Industry insiders point out that KYC issues are not unique to one company, raising concerns about shortcuts taken by startups to onboard customers quickly. And reports hint that more fintech companies are likely to face regulatory scrutiny for lapses in the KYC processes. So how can we simplify and securely implement KYC processes across all segments of the fintech industry?
2: See, KYC is a challenge, not just for fintechs, but also incumbents. Uh, it is a fairly involved process. It is uh, time consuming, It is uh, uh, it involves a fair bit of cost. But look, uh, given the way Indian economy is evolved, given the digital ID that has come about for individuals, which is Aadhaar, a lot of digitalization of KYC for individuals has already taken place. Plus, there is a central KYC uh, repository that the government has created, which all the financial services firms can access, if that access can also be provided to certain fintechs, then uh, it it sort of uh, takes care of a lot of uh, uh, problems that fintechs face in undertaking KYC. The challenge, I think, will remain on the legal entity KYC because it continues to be complex, uh, non-digital, paper-based, and a number of documents have to be obtained. Now, how the government goes about digitalizing uh, legal entity KYC is uh, something that I'm keen to see.
1: Analysts see the finance minister's recent meeting as a first of its kind move towards industry engagement. This consultative approach will go a long way to stimulate dialogue between the fintech sector and the regulatory agencies. This will help the industry players better understand the intricacies of India's regulatory environment and guide them towards seamless compliance.
0: Clearly, fintech firms have to strike a delicate balance between growth and compliance. Also, a lot of people are currently trying to strike a balance between their earning and outgo. And for those living on rent, it's a tightrope walk. Recent government data revealed that today our rent commitments occupy more of our budgets than what was the case 10 or even 20 years ago. Kasturi Akhil and Abhijit Kumar have more on this.
4: The widely held belief that house rents are increasingly eating into household savings is now back. By government data. The latest Household Consumption Expenditure Survey 2022 23 has revealed that the average person living in an Indian city is allocating more of their budget to paying rent than what people used to about 10 or even 20 years ago. The survey shows the share of rent in the monthly per capita consumption expenditure or MPCE for urban India rose to 6.56%. This was the highest it has been in similar surveys going back to at least 1999-2000. It was 4.46% at the turn of the millennium. Rents in rural India have also seen a rise, but not as much when compared with those in the cities. Rent in rural India accounts for 0.76% of average consumer spending, which is around a tenth of the budget share seen in urban India. The share of rent in rural India was 0.45% in 2011 12. According to real estate platform MagicBrick's flagship rental update, rents across 13 major cities in India grew a robust 17.4% year on year in the December quarter last year. Of the 13 cities, Gurugram took the lead with a 31.3% year on year rent rise, followed by Greater Noida at 30.4% and Bengaluru at 23.1%. So, what's the reason behind skyrocketing rents in Indian metros?
5: Primary driver behind surging rental rates in major Indian cities today is a severe supply-to-demand mismatch. And urban migration has exploded. So, with millions of Indians flocking to metros for education and employment opportunities on a yearly basis, uh, the residential construction has not been able to keep up with this kind of strong housing demand and land constraints in cities has also hampered this growth. So compounding things, smaller household sizes and increasing rental yields have led to more investors to purchase homes for leasing and uh, thus removing this inventory from the market which has resulted in the upward pressure on rents.
4: However, Abhishek Bhadra, head of research at Magic Bricks, recently told a leading financial daily that between October and December last year, they observed a cyclical dip in the rental demand, but they anticipate a rebound in the short to medium term, underscoring the dynamism of the rental market. The Magic Bricks report found that the rental demand increased modestly by 1.6% year-on-year. Greater Noida, Ahmedabad and Chennai observed the highest growth in rental demand as compared to the previous year. Rental supply, on the other hand, reduced considerably by 16.9% year-on-year, with outliers like Noida seeing 19.6%, Hyderabad 3.2% and Greater Noida seeing a 2.7% increase in rental supply. One might wonder if buying a property is the way out. But a separate Magic Bricks survey on property prices found that property prices across 13 major cities in India soared 18.8% year-on-year and 3.97% sequentially in October-December last year, with cities such as Gurugram, Greater Noida, Noida and Hyderabad observing the highest increase during this period. The report also noted that demand for residential property increased 2% annually. However, it decreased 16.9% on a quarter-on-quarter basis due to concerns regarding rising property prices. Then, what could be the possible solutions to ensure more affordable housing?
6: Unfortunately, in the mid to short term, you can't do much. In the long term, however, a lot of things can be done. A few the government is already doing. But unless and until the government brings in uh, large corporates etc. to occupy or to take up the rental housing as a challenge, Till that is not done, the problem will persist for a longer time. So the short long-term solution has got to be making rental housing more of a large-scale business for the funds, for the REITs, etc. to also get involved in.
5: To take measures like releasing government land at affordable rates for low-cost projects, single-window fast tracking of permits, lowering GST rates for raw materials, Extending uh, affordable home loan units, um, limits, partnering with microfinance institutions and encouraging rental housing models can surely be some of the solutions. Cities must also but improve infrastructure planning while developers adopt these new techniques like prefabrication to enhance productivity, quality and speed.
4: The government focused on the need for affordable housing for the middle-income group in this year's interim budget. It proposed to launch a scheme to help deserving people in this income group living in rented houses, chawls, slums and unauthorised colonies to buy or build their own houses. So, will the government's initiative for affordable housing announced in the interim budget help?
6: The rental housing problem is not associated only with affordable housing we are feeling the pinch even in mid to upper end of the housing as well. The interventions that the government is talking about for affordable housing will obviously have a burden, have a huge uh, uh, improvement in availability of supply in that category. But that in itself also will take at least a couple of years to materialize. So in the interim, mid to short end, we will continue to face the problem of lack of availability of rental housing.
4: Experts believe, the skyrocketing rental problem is here to stay at least in the short to mid-term. The current housing supply is unable to keep up with the booming demand due to an expanding urban mobility. And NCR is topping the list with rents shooting through the roof. Although the government's initiative for middle-income people will help to curb the problem to some extent, large investment in the rental house sector is key to keep the rents in check.
0: Let us now turn our gaze towards the sky. The recent relaxation in space FDI norms by the government has provided a boost to related stocks in the defence and aerospace industry. As these shares remain upbeat, should you also join the rally or can valuations play spoil sport? Harshita Singh's report brings the answers.
7: The recent relaxation in space FDI norms by the government has kept related stocks buzzing recently on Dalal Street. The government has permitted 100% FDI in manufacturing of components, systems, and subsystems for satellites. It has also allowed 74% FDI in satellite data products and 49% in developing launch vehicles and spaceports. Stocks like Data patents, Valchand Nagar, Apollo Micro, Centum and Midhani, among others, have rallied 7 to 25 percent since 21st February, when the FDI norms were eased. While the development provides a fill-up for such domestic players in the space sector, analysts suggest caution citing expensive valuations.
3: This development will enable Indian-listed space players to gain access to advanced technologies and expertise. Further, these companies will be able to set up their manufacturing facilities within the country. Currently, looking at the fundamentals and valuation of these companies, any fresh positions should be avoided, while investors already having these stocks should hold on to their positions.
7: Notably, the government's indigenization push for local defence manufacturing has led to a one-way rally in most defence and aerospace shares in the last one year, with stocks like Apollo Micro, Aventil PTC Industries, HAL, Paris Defense, and Data Patents giving eye popping returns of 100 to 367% in this period. Thus, most of these companies are commanding high PE values ranging from 50 to 152 times on a 12 month trailing basis. In this backdrop, long term investment should be stock specific, analysts say in the long run they add the new fdi policy will help companies improve scalability which has so far remained limited
6: the fdi investments definitely will help the companies which are currently focusing mainly on uh, defense aviation companies also help them to focus more on uh, space as a uh, sector going ahead uh, we can see uh, many of the indian companies have participated in the recent mission of ISRO, the Chandrayaan, many of the companies are already involved but the scalability is uh, very limited for these companies because uh, of the the current uh, main uh, one of their customer is currently ISRO. Uh, once the FDI is allowed these companies can participate in global missions also uh, that, will, that will increase the revenues over a period of time as the scalability and the customer base is going to uh, go up.
7: Bhatini thus suggests evaluating companies based on their space-related research domains and picking those with higher segmental revenue from space business. His top picks remain HAL, BEL, PTC Industries, and Walsh Nagar Industries. Thus, investors should look beyond the change in space FDI norms as the development alone may not be enough a trigger for fresh buying, experts suggest. Today on the last street, global cues and stock-specific action will guide sentiment.
0: He's making plans
6: for an early retirement.
8: Business Standard.
0: And in this race to unravel the mysteries of space, companies and startups are increasingly taking help. From artificial intelligence. In fact, AI is marking its presence in almost every sphere. But there are worries too, like the effect of AI generated fake videos on voters during elections. Against this backdrop, major tech companies have signed an AI Accord in Munich, committing to tackle deep fakes and AI generated content that could influence elections and misguide voters. Shivam Tyagi has
8: more on this pact. Almost half of the world's population will elect leaders in 2024 to run their countries. It is a moment of celebration for democracies which are increasingly relying on technology to conduct smooth and fair elections. But technology is posing a threat too. Against this backdrop, 20 leading tech companies have entered into an agreement to combat the deceptive use of artificial intelligence during elections. A pact named The Tech Accord Combat Deceptive Use of AI in 2024 elections was signed by the top tech giants at the Munich Security Conference on February 16. The agreement addresses the rising threat of misinformation and deepfakes, particularly as AI technologies advance in generating convincing content relating to political figures. Signatories of the AI Accord include Google, IBM, Amazon, Microsoft, Meta, OpenAI, and X, among others. The Tech Accord commits these companies to collaborate on tools for detecting and addressing deceptive AI content, conducting educational campaigns, and enhancing transparency. The principles outlined in the agreement include tracking the origin of deceptive election-related content and raising public awareness about the issue. The threat of misinformation and disinformation during elections has intensified due to advancements in AI, particularly in creating persuasive deepfake content, including realistic depictions of political leaders and public figures through AI-generated audio, video, and manipulated images. In the recent New Hampshire presidential primaries, AI was employed to produce fraudulent calls imitating Joe Biden's voice, aiming to discourage voters from participating. Several countries including the US and the UK have begun proposals to regulate AI. In the US, President Joe Biden in October 2023 mandated tech companies to report safety test outcomes for their most potent AI systems before release.
4: Nations trusted bank SBI the banker
2: to every indian
0: prime minister narendra modi too became a victim of deep fake when a video showing him doing garba went viral a few days ago calling the video real pm modi later clarified that he had not played garba since he was young well that's all for today for more news views and insights please log into business-standard.com thank you for watching
1: For more news, views and updates, subscribe to Business Standard on Google Podcast, Apple Podcast and Spotify. Also follow us on YouTube, Vimeo, Instagram,
2: Twitter, Facebook and LinkedIn.